you're wrong. Fuck you, we're right. You have all made it to the dance. Because believe me, this is the dance. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Royal Grumble. I'm your host, Graham, and sitting in the corner to my right, it's feeling very sorry for himself. It's Dan. How are you doing, Dan? All right. I feel like I should be in quarantine. <laughs> well, we, we discussed it, but we, we decided it was probably illegal. Get some plastic sheeting up. <laughs> we could put use some of your um, board, whiteboard thing. I, I don't... I, <laughs> right. And uh, sitting in the corner to my left, I'm really, I'm really sorry, everybody. I'm really sorry, but it's Daryl. Daryl's back. No, oh, guys. We got him out of computer. Welcome back, Daryl. We've got a few issues. Okay. Right. Go on. You accused me of being sexist and uh, <laughs> misogynistic. Oh, we didn't accuse you of that. And racist, I believe. Yeah. And I, I don't think it was an accusation. I think it was a statement. But then I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure one of you, I think it was you, said something quite misogynistic last week. Probably. Yeah. I did listen. Okay. I'm not happy. Also, you missed you missed doing the pay per view MVP, didn't you? I started that. All oh, right, okay, sorry. So who, who are you picking? Um, who were best best AJ Styles? Uh, uh, yeah, Brock Lesnar for Survivor Series. We've got, we've got NXT. No, no, we're not doing NXT. It's gay. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Daryl's back, everybody. <laughs> no, you got to pick one. You're you a bad person. You you can't pick one each. Is the collective Royal Grumble pay for you? I'll go with AJ Styles then. Why not? That's fine. Right. No, you know what? No, no. We're having Brock Lesnar. I'll put my foot down because he actually sold all the way to the back. Oh, yeah, he did. So there's why. Go for it. Okay. And AJ's won it before, I think. So. Probably, yeah. And if he hasn't, then he will. So. Yeah. Whereas Brock might not because he might never come back. Because, <laughs> you know, that's how he rolls. Well, since Daryl's returned, the opening contest for this week. Obviously, did you hear the opening contest last week, Daryl? I listened to the show, but I've got a short-term memory. Well, we had about four of them, and also you gave I one of them. I did one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they got one Truth Commission member each, so well done. The uh, the opening contest that I set was what is the greatest replacement in professional wrestling history. So it only seems fair that equally, since we've got you back, you've returned, you know, it's all positive. What is the worst return in professional wrestling history? Um, So I, I had one option, but then I'm going to go with something else. I was thinking about Christian... Because when he was coming back, there was a lot of hype, and then he ended up on ECW, and it was a bit of a lackluster return. But the return I'm really gonna go with is Gilberg. They Which had, one? So Gilberg's return this year during the Festival of Friendship. He couldn't even get to the ring. <laughs> like that was he, pretty funny. That was last year, it? but anyway, yeah, go on. Was it last year? That's how, like, yeah, yeah. It, it was, was like February or March this year. I'm wrong. Sorry. Carry on. Yeah. Bloody hell! This has been a long year, hasn't it? <laughs> But yeah, um, they brought Gilberg out and I felt like there was a bit more, there was more legs on him. I know he's getting on a bit nowadays, but you could have had Goldberg kill him as well. Like, I, we need that Goldberg-Gilberg match to actually happen. Didn't we I, have a goal? Didn't that happen? Oh, Wasn't right. it during the Rock feud? I feel like that happened. I don't, I don't know if he had a match. I think he speared him. Yeah, close yeah. enough. Yeah, uh, they need basically to have, a Goldberg match. That it? is a Goldberg match. Yeah, they, sh- they should have had a proper match. I bet Gilberg had more time in the ring with, uh, with Goldberg than <laughs> Brock Lesnar had at Survivor Series 2016. <laughs> yeah. There you go. 16, I just remembered what year it is. Daryl, uh, worst prof- worst return in professional wrestling? Uh, I've got two, mate. Go on. Because I, I couldn't decide. So, um, just any Kane return, <laughs> right, it tends to be a bit shit, doesn't it? What, even this most latest one where he, he turned up and had a little fight with Braun Strowman and was part of his team and then wasn't? 
yeah that, that's that's why really isn't it like it's like they're bringing back like it'll, it'll like that you know when he came back um and he had his little welder's mask on and stuff and it's like oh it's kane he's back with his mask on it's like he's still still a bit shit though isn't he? oh yeah he had two masks don't forget he yeah. had the welder's mask and then he had the the one that he still wears yeah. but my favorite part about that was he comes down with this welder's mask and it's like oh that's actually pretty cool and he t- he grabs it and it's blatantly plastic <laughs> it's like just plastic go on what's your other one then so I don't know if this is going to be controversial or not, but Joe, you know when Austin got run over, yep, and then he came back, yeah, they were all a bit shit after that, weren't it? Well, like, I thought his return was all right, like him just going around and beating everyone up. Yeah, yeah, but like that's what you want from Austin. But, but then it but, all became about Austin again, didn't it? And Austin were good, but like when he were off, <laughs> it were probably a bit better, weren't it? Because it weren't all about Austin. It's, uh, you focus on guys like Test. And deal <laughs> and Godfather. I think it's um, is Te- still dead? Oh, I ain't checked that. We just check. We're just trying to find out if Tess is still dead. I'm not quite disappointed. Didn't ask Danny Glover if Tess was still dead last week. Oh maybe yeah, we maybe he'd have known. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, why? I don't know. Okay, it might have been inside knowledge. It might have been in a film with him. Yeah, yeah maybe. Maybe, maybe t- has Tess been in any films? Uh, he must have been. He probably was. Yeah, before he died. Oh, first of December. Yes. Oh, he's still dead. Thank oh, you. Okay. Just, so Test is still dead. Uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, because Test is dead, uh, that means you can't win because, you know, we can't focus on Test because then it would be even sadder when he dies. So uh, so Dan wins. Okay. Dan wins the opening comp. What's the fucking point of me being <laughs> Because, it, because Daryl, it, it ties into my narrative of being the worst return. See? <laughs> There you go. This is like Lawnmower Man 2, which was a kind of subpar return compared to Lawnmower Man 1. I don't, I don't, one. I don't understand the reference. I, I didn't even... Well, Lawnmower, Lawnmower Man, Man was... 2. They go into the computers this time and he's there and he's ruling over a cyber city. Ah, see, that, that that's the yeah. rule. That's the rule of the... Like, first of all, they come to you, then you go to them. Yeah. It's like Toy Story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a bit. I missed the trick. Or that Predator I 2, appropriately enough, which also featured Danny Glover. I want to thank again, by the way. Thank you, uh, thank you, Danny. And thank you, uh, Chris from The Wizard of Drivel. Uh, for being on our show last week. It was very nice to have you here. Where did you all sit? I mean, this this is just, I should have asked this before we went on the air. Yeah, you should have. Quite... They had the chairs and I had the sofa. Oh, uh, see, so you, t- you took charge. I we, did. We got yeah. the big mic stand out. Yeah, they got they got me on the casting couch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the big, yeah, the big mic stand was out. It was good. It was good. We had fun. Anyway, good to have you back, Daryl. Uh, <laughs> so Clash of Champions has has a card. Can you do me a favour, Dan? Whilst I stall for time, can you put the Clash of Champions card up on the uh, on the computer screen and read it for me? Because they yes. have some extra matches now. One of them I know is Charlotte Flair against Natalia. Okay, so that's another match. Uh, obviously, we already had AJ Styles against Jinder Mahal. Yeah, uh, they've got another match which is Baron Corbin versus Bobby Roode versus Dolph Ziggler. Yes, that's a match. Oh. For the United States Championship. I know what I'm having a piss. Uh-huh. And then we've and got the Usos versus the New Day versus Chad Gable, Shelton Benjamin. Right. So I'm I'm saying it now. I'm not going to watch Clash of Champions. I don't want to. I'm not interested in it. So I'm just going to say it now. Right. Right. So if we do a show on it, it's fine. But uh, I'll participate at minimal level. <laughs> I mean, if if we do release a show for that week, why 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 don't we just pick a different Clash of Champions? <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. Yeah, can we watch a different Clash of Champions? Which was the one with the... But then speak about it as if it just happened. (laughs) I think that that would be a better plan than this terrible looking pay-per-view. Why isn't Ruby Riot um, on on the the show? Because she's just debuted. Because reasons. Uh, Yeah, she's... It's really innovative, that, isn't it? Having like three three women come on to SmackDown and attack 
a tackle the other day that women good, and good idea there, isn't it? Yeah. So, but I mean, it's completely different, mate, because they're all they're all different women. I mean, one of them sort of you know, as well. I think we literally mentioned exactly this it. last week. Oh, but they did it actually, so nice. They did it twice. But they're, but they're still doing it. Like they did the same angle last week, and then they decided to continue doing the same angle this week. Do you think Vince might have Alzheimer's? <laughs> Uh, well, he's like, not drinking blood anymore. It could be early onset. Yeah, blood. He really likes blood. I, I think that's a question that we might come back and ask ourselves. Okay. And go. When did it start? Yeah. And maybe now was then. Another match that is likely to be added to Clash of Champions is Zack Ryder and Mojo Rawley. Pre-show. <laughs> <laughs> that's got pre-show written all over it. It unless, would have unless, pre-show written all over it. Unless Gronk shows up, but it won't because it's mid-season. But see, it would have pre-show rid- written all over it if it wasn't for this already <laughs> terrible card. Graham, I've just got a bone to pick for you about this, though. Go on. Because ages ago, you were like, oh, Zack Ryder's definitely turning heel. He's turning on Mojo Rawley. Oh, and right. what actually yeah. happened is okay. Mojo Rawley turned on Zack Ryder. Yeah, well... Is it so. possible that they could both be the marginee? Yes. <laughs> it's it's just... It's basically they're the new rockers. Then they want to fuck the daughter. Oh, God. I forgot that happened with Marty Janay. Oh, dear. Oh, no. No. All that, uh, move on. Move on. There's going to be something else. Uh, they, they had Starcade. They did. That was all right. The Natural was on it, weren't it? Dustin, the Natural Dustin, Dustin Rhodes. Rhodes yeah. yeah. Do you I, remember? I've always been a fan of Natural Dustin Rhodes. I liked it when he did his, like, not Goldust characters, so I wouldn't mind him doing that on TV for a little bit. Just I'd prefer him as the artist formerly known as Goldust. <laughs> do you remember when they announced that they were going to do Starcade and Cody Rhodes had a little shit fit going, oh, you should have a Rhodes on Starcade. And first of all, Michael Hayes was yeah. like, well, first of all, Dustin's going to be there because we still employ him. And secondly, why don't you come down? And he was like, oh, oh, my dad invented it. Turns out his dad didn't invent it. Yeah. So there you go, Cody. Why don't you piss off? Yeah, I, piss I, off to a ten thousand seater arena and sell it out with the young no, bucks. No, I, I think what I heard were that his dad came up with the name Starcade, but yeah. not the event because no. when the event, the Thanksgiving event before it was called Starcade, and then that seems to be the suggestion. Yeah, yeah. and Dory Funk yeah. Junior was the one who booked it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So well done, Cody. You oh, they're taking on my dad's stuff. It's not even your dad's stuff. Yeah, thing thing is, like his dad was part of a team that lost the war. So, like. <laughs> No, but you were. Yeah, but like, it was part of the NWA, mean, w- WCW. Oh, you mean NWA, WCW, not the South. <laughs> oh, well, the South will <laughs> rise again. No, no, like, the, like WWF had a war with all territories and WCW and all that <coughs> bullshit, and WWF won. So they own it all. So whether his dad invented it or not, Vince owns all the fucking trademarks for everything. The history of wrestling runs through WWF now. He's just got to fucking live with that. Started in 1985. <laughs> yeah, we should it's the sort of unjustified, entitled... The, the only thing he doesn't own is a thing that William Patrick Corgan owns. The fucking NWA. And, yeah, and fucking Tim Storm. <laughs> brother of James Storm. Really? Guy who's showing up at CZW KJF to answer an open challenge. Is he? Yep. Oh. Cousin of Johnny Storm? Yeah. Yep. Johnny Storm waits behind at all the parties to get all the adulation. Jack Storm's dad. Yep. Yeah. Tony um, Storm's husband. <laughs> Why? Nicky Storm Sugar Daddy. Definitely. Something to do with Lance Storm. So, yeah. Oh, no. No, no, they're just no. acquaintances. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have friends, don't forget. <laughs> I mean, they, they think they're his family, but, but he's not. Do you think Storm is quite possibly the most generic wrestling name ever? Yeah. That and Phoenix. Yeah. Luke, Luke Dragon Phoenix was back this week, wasn't he? Uh, he, he was he's been back, back a while. He's been back a while, yeah. Has he? He's yeah, been back a while. Yeah, but, but so this year, yeah. He's, Do you remember he just rocked up in 1PW? Yeah, I don't know anybody. And won the tag titles, and they were like, right, now you're a tag champion. 
we're going to take your belt off you though. <laughs> and then you're going to, you're going to represent the company as one of our faces of the company, even though you've been in it for about 10 minutes. Yeah. It was all right though. I thought I liked him. He was a good wrestler. Coming back to Cody and his little bitch fits. Uh, he's like, Oh, WWE, we're going to show you me and me mates. The young box have booked a 10,000 seat arena and we're going to sell it out. It's based on the bet with Dave Meltzer. Is it? Yeah. Dave Meltzer was the one who said that he didn't think that they could draw 10,000 people to an arena. And Cody goes, I'll take that bet. Well, well, oh, yeah. some knob on Twitter said to Dave Meltzer, do you think, I think he said, <laughs> do you think Ring of Honor could do 10,000 seater? Right. Is what he said. Yeah. And Meltzer were like, nah, what happened? So Cody Rhodes took him up on a, on the bet as so well. I bet I could do it. Right. So, so even if they do sell it out, he's still wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not Ring of Honor. It's Cody and his Bullet Club mates. Yeah. And they, uh, <laughs> Dave Meltzer referenced Rick and Morty this week and by referenced I mean clearly has no idea what it is because he was like oh they're selling more than Rick and Morty on the on the hot topic and my son said that Rick and Morty would always win and now now they're not did you hear him talk about when somebody were uh, serving him in hot topic oh yeah that was great I, I, first of all, I just like the idea of Dave Meltzer being in hot topic but no I don't think I did okay so he, he's in there with his son and um, somebody behind the counter recognised Meltzer for so I don't know how he never said how they recognised him because he was wearing his t-shirt that says Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer probably but then they were saying oh if my manager knew because the, the, the Young oh. Bucks have got a t-shirt in there with the Meltzer driver thing on it right so okay. like he's like oh, if my manager knew he'd like it'd be, it'd, like, be crazy like somebody fangirled over him in Hot Topic fangirled over him they were a faint female bloody hell yeah and did he, did he show? Did he do like a gender pose? He's like, yeah. Well, no, he's really awkward, isn't he? So he probably yeah, just, just probably looked down at the ground. He's been on being the elite and stuff. Yeah, the, but the, the as he, bits. I mean, he has. But you know, what I mean, the point of the camera at him, and he's probably too awkward to say, oh, "I don't, don't." Oh, no, it was during the Where's Hangman stuff, and it was him facing the camera, going, "Where's Hangman?" And it right. was kind of weird. And then he did a bit where he was talking to him as well. But then um, I think they might be able to do this because I think they've got a secret weapon. Because there's a guy who's currently in the contract elsewhere who um, is having discussions about possibly ending that contract because the management don't want him to come back and he's training ready and he's informed the Young Bucks that if he was to come back, they would be the first ones to know. Wow. CM Punk. Oh, uh, I, yeah. thought it was, I thought it was Brian. I think, I think they'll get CM Punk for it. Oh, I thought it was Brian Danielson. Oh, That's yeah. my big prediction. Oh, well. Do you, do so you what, think they could get them both? Yeah, definitely, and yeah. They have it. And they could have one of their classic three-star matches. Well, yeah, we don't have to fight each other, do they? Well, okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm more making a disparaging comment about CM Punk's inability to have a decent match with Daniel Bryan, yeah. even though they had loads of them. I, I say decent, that's not correct. They always have decent matches, but they never have great matches. No. No. Who would, who would you have Punk wrestle, do you think? Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. Probably Daniel Bryan, I think. Actually. I think he'd end up teaming with Young Bucks in some sort of six-man tag or something. Yeah, actually, because yeah. like he's gonna be, I mean, with all that combat training, he's gonna have to, he's gonna have to remind himself not to hurt people, isn't he? Well, he's, he's gonna have to stop throwing significant strikes at people. He's gonna have to find a way to stop himself from hurting other people. Now that he's super hard and proper, proper is he, is MMA. Is he not mates with Colt Cabana anymore? <laughs> I don't know. Were yeah, they signed in the same it, lawsuit? It, I don't and, know because if they are mates, then surely they could do Young Bucks versus them two. I, I think it's. Uh, I think they have fallen out. I'm not 100 percent sure. I think yeah, I think they're both probably quiet on it, but I reckon they have. Yeah, it's yeah. something to do with the lawsuit about how I think Cockabana def is defensive, 
I just asked questions. I didn't say anything disparaging. Yeah. And it's unfair that they're suing my podcast as well as the person who said the disparaging things. And yeah, but the thing is, Colt Cavana was more than willing to go, oh yeah, come on my podcast. Yeah. I mean, everyone else wants you on theirs, but they don't know you like I know you, friend. <laughs> Take me to WWE. <laughs> what? I should have... I've long since... I may have mentioned this on the show. I've long since believed that Colt Cabana hates CM Punk secretly, secretly resents him for succeeding in WWE when Colt Cabana, I'm pretty sure, was convinced that he was going to be successful in WWE. Yeah. He thought, I reckon in his head, he was like, I'm exactly what they need. They love someone like me because I'm charismatic. Look how charismatic I am. I'm wearing a shirt that says I'm charismatic. Hey, creative, what have you got for me today? Oh, banter. <laughs> Cabanta. See what I did there? Portmanteau. There you go. What happened on Raw? IC title. Uh, what? The Drifter didn't win it. That's all. Oh. Roman Reigns came out on his own already. Yeah, we had shield stuff. Yeah. Dean Ambrose was on his honeymoon though, weren't he? Yeah. And they had a little conversation with Seth Rollins, but he's already wearing his own t-shirt again, Roman yeah. Reigns. Which, to be fair, if it, if they go, right, Roman, it's time to wear the shield t-shirt or your own t-shirt. He's like, ah, have you seen that thing? I'll wear my own. Thank you very like, much. I don't know. We could give you a half and half. I'll just take this. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll just, yeah, just give me my own. That's fine. But Samojo came and choked him out. So they're going to have a feud. Good. I'll be all right with it. Yeah, I like Samojo. Part of the reason I'm all right with this is that it might, because obviously they're building to Roman Reigns against Brock Lesnar again, part two or whatever it is. It might mean that Samoa Joe wins the title, which is fine. Yeah. I'm all right with that. Did they have another Raw pay-per-view before the Royal Rumble? I don't think they do. No, I didn't think they did either. What, what about Roadblock end of the line? Is that not That's, coming up? Gone? Yeah, I don't know when that is. I don't they're reducing the pay-per-views next year, by the way. Oh, we never talked about this on the show. So they're changing the makeup of the pay-per-views again next year. Okay. They've figured out that basically the expenditure that they're spending on extra pay-per-views when they were going, like, you've got 19 instead of 12, it was making nothing. <laughs> but they have made one significant change, which we wanted mm. them to do, and I will give them credit, they have implemented it. Right. What are the big four pay-per-views? Royal Rumble. Yep. WrestleMania. Yep. SummerSlam. Yep. Survivor Series. Yes. If you had to add a fifth to that, what would you add? Like not, like, like not, not add like a, a back in day. Not yeah. add a new concept, but promote another one to be a dual brand one. Uh, money in the bank. That's what they're doing. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they money need in the to bank's... do just one money in the bank match with people from both brands. I think that'd be the best thing. They could it... do that. It no, probably won't. No, I no. think I think having a red case and a blue case would be good. It works fine. I'm I'm okay with either way. Hey. Or a gold case on each brand and then you've got the potential of moving somebody to another brand. Yeah, see, that's in. what I was thinking where if it were one briefcase, they can cash in on any champion. See, actually, yeah, I must admit there's, there's, there's intriguing story and possibilities on both sides. I feel like they've done the briefcase gimmick well in the last couple of years because they've not, they've not extended it for that long period of time. Like, they're not doing great with Carmella, but whatever, it was the first women's one and uh, James Ellsworth were it. But, you know, I mean, that's... Neither here nor there. Point is that they've dealt with it well enough lately. <laughs> yeah. Especially since, I mean, it wasn't great to give it to Baron Corbin, but the good thing was that they had him <laughs> lose his title match. I really uh, fucking hate him. I, I was on telly earlier when I was watching a bit of SmackDown and I fucking hate him so much. He's garbage, isn't he? He's just yeah. bad. Yeah. And he thinks he's good as well. I think he thinks he's a really good character by going, oh, you fans, you're a... I'm, I'm Baron Corbin, you're rubbish. Look, I'm showing character. Well, he's not. I'm really tall. No, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't even hate his character. I don't know what his character is. His character... He wears wolf t-shirts. <laughs> well, we discussed this last the week, didn't we? that shop in fucking Forbidden Planet. Like, 
and buy fucking Pokemon cards, wear fucking wolf t-shirts, mate. Daryl, I, I know one person with Pokemon cards. One Who, person in the world. Who's that, mate? It's you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not a virgin, though, so well, fuck you. What's underneath that body warmer? Is it a wolf t-shirt? <laughs> it might be, but it's zipped up so you can't fucking see it. Is it three wolf moon? Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> Finn Balor's getting um, less and less over by the minute and getting more and more trolling yeah, on Twitter. I want to talk about this because yep. um, I, I don't know if you talked, but I can't remember if you spoke about it last week. I don't know if it were a thing last week. Um, can you, I mean, it's the logic is Vince logic, but what's the logic behind booking somebody really shit, like having him get squashed by fucking Kane and then go, oh yeah, it's not over. I, it, you control how, if he gets over or not. <laughs> it's exactly that. It's, it's Vince logic. That's what it is. Maybe he has Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> it's that classic thing though, isn't it? They, they've done this so many times. Like, I don't know if it's ever been so quick and so blatant as this, but they've done this so many times with guys. Like, remember Booker T got over for a little bit and then they're like, oh, I can't get over, so don't give him the title. But by not giving the title, you made sure he wasn't over. You know, it's yeah. just like... The- but, but like, he is over. That's that's the thing. Like, he is over. And I, so I don't know how... how he, I, don't, I don't understand. It's just such a backwards logic, in it? Like, wrestling's the only business in my head anyway there might be others that maybe you can name but where first of all you have the choice of who you want to put forward or not and then when they get popular they go "Mm, that's not who we wanted to get popular is it so we're just going to prod you down until you're not popular then cite the reason that you don't cite the reason for not giving you promotions as the the fact that you're not popular even though we made you unpopular in the first it's it's just bizarre and i hate to be one of those people Who's like, oh, well, it's because of that. But it really is. It, yeah. It's because of them. But they want him on all posters. Yeah, which, if he's not over, don't put him on posters then. Well, like. But he's got, he's got the pretty, he's got the, the, the demon. Good point. The, the demon. Maybe Finn Balor's not over, but the demon is over. They're, right, there we are. That's Vince's real problem. <laughs> he doesn't know that they're not different people. But then he thinks the demon might be Shelton Benjamin. Ah, yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh... What's the point of Shelton Benjamin? Thank you, pardon. Now, what's the point of him? I watched SmackDown earlier and I was like, why are you back? Like, um, you've literally come back to put, like, buddy, um, Jason Jordan's gear on like, <laughs> and just be Jason Jordan. Doesn't make sense. Just leave, like, does it, really? I suppose not. Uh, I, I feel, the person I feel sorry for is Paul Heyman, actually, because he's spent so much time building up Finn Balor, just quietly, subtly, <laughs> In the background, only for this all to be like trashed. Like it's it's the job of a manager to build, especially for like because he's one of the only managers that really exists at the moment to build up not only his client but also his client's opponent, and that's what he's done. And they've just sort of ripped his work to shreds, really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But he's not the only manager, is he? Who is the other manager? There's other managers, aren't there? Like who, mate? Um, the Grand Wizard. He's a bit shit. What? Well, you what? What? I said he's a bit shit. You, you, you said he was what? Grand Wizard. The Grand sh- Wizard. Yeah, you got a problem with that. Well, who else do you think this shit then? Go on. Uh, Captain Noir Banner. What? He's a bit shit as well, isn't he? What? He was Mario. Are you Mario? Have you been Mario? I've been Sonic. Oh, I've been Sonic. Oh, I've been. Uh, that's not the same thing, and you know it. Oh, yeah, good point, man. You know what? Right. 
We're supposed to be doing this bloody manager thing. Yeah. You can bollocks. You can do it yourself. Uh, me and you will do it, mate. Yeah, yeah let's go for it. No, don't so, see you later, mate. Don't let door hit you on way out, dickhead. No, you're a dickhead. You're, you're, you're a dickhead. Done your mum. Yep. I've got your kids, Graham. I've got your kids. You're a dickhead. So after the break, it's me and Daryl talking managers Mount Rushmore. Man, SmackDown is really into fisting. 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 Man, SmackDown is really into fisting. 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 Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to a Royal Grumble kind of like special, we don't know where this is quite going to fit in the calendar, uh, but it's kind of like a special thing where we're going to do a wrestling manager's um, Mount Rushmore, similar way to we did the um, Mount Rushmore wrestling, we're doing wrestling manager one this time. Uh, we a couple of weeks removed from the passing of Bobby the Brain Heenan, um, and on that show we said that we would do a wrestling manager show, um, but we thought it would fit better later on in the schedule. So um, Graham's not here this week, um, so it's just me and Dan. Say hello, Dan. Hello. Uh, I don't know if I introduced myself. Uh, I'm Daryl. If you're a new, if you're a new listener, I'm Daryl. Um, so um, the way we usually record our shows is uh, we, re- we record a little segment at the start. We have a little break, then we record maybe the main body of the show. I don't quite know where this is going to fit in. This may just be a standalone show. It may be a second part. So you may have already heard us talking about up-to-date stuff, or this may be the start of the show. Bonus episode if we get to double figures of listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so we, we're doing a Mount Rushmore. So that's four people. Yes. Correct? We already know Bobby Heenan's on there. We did a whole show yeah. on Bobby Heenan. Um around the time that he passed away. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to that, that's available on Podbean, uh, on the YouTube channel, all the usual places that you can get our podcast. Yes. So we're, we're not disrespecting Bobby Heena, we're just not talking about him in this because we've done a whole show on him. And he's on it. And he's on it. He's on there. Like I, I made a comment before we started recording, it's less of a Mount Rushmore for me, more of a Lincoln Memorial where other people's names might be etched on it. Yeah. Because Bobby Heena's that big for me. So yeah, go listen to that episode, it's quite good. Okay. So, let's start strong. Let's let's yeah. start like, like we mean to go on. Um, let's start with uh, Jim Cornette. James E. Cornette. Yeah. Uh, Let, let's make a case for James Cornette to go on it. When was the first time you saw... Uh, WWF, uh, maybe managing Yokozuna. Maybe yeah, was, 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 he, was he managing Heavenly Bodies before that? Yeah, um, I started watching 93 when they were doing the NWA. It was a Smoky Mountain stuff on WWE TV. Okay. And he was managing the Heavenly Bodies on there. And yeah, he was this kind of like chicken shit manager yeah. who carried a tennis racket. And then he managed Yokozuna, uh, wore that ridiculous suit at WrestleMania 10. <laughs> and then he's become kind of infamous since then. Probably started in 97. Was when, was it 97 or 98 when he started doing these shoot promos on Raw? It, I'll tell you what it was. It was um, around the early 97 because yeah. one of the more memorable ones for me was when uh, it was after the first ever Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. And WCW had just done a cage match and they were proclaiming it to be the greatest cage match of all time. And on the promo, he says, how can you call it the greatest cage match of all time when the WWF just done the greatest cage match of all time <laughs> or somewhere along those lines? Yeah, so, like, I'm going to get that stuff out of the way first where I just say, like, Jim Cornette over the last, especially recent times, 
people don't look at him as favorably. But go back as a manager, and especially like in WCW, in well, Jim Crockett promotions mainly in the 80s, and then into WWF, he was a manager of a lot of top guys, mainly tag teams, most uh, notably the Midnight Express in their feud with the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. That was his big thing, and the thing he's still remembered for in many places today. He ran a few companies and was a manager there. He's got a really great legacy behind him, and it's why even today, like, as much as he's a controversy magnet and stuff like that, it's also because like this is a guy who was involved in a lot of top times in the business as a manager on screen and doing great stuff. And there's an entertaining character that we all loved at one point. Yeah, um, I think that him getting onto Mount Rush on onto our Mount Rushmore is, I think it's going to be quite a strong possibility he'll get on there. Mm. But I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he had the main event single stars. No, he, the, nowhere near Heenan in terms of that stuff. But I think that the amount of tag teams he had, yeah, and his run with Yokozuna, uh, his run with Vader, yeah. uh, he brought Vader into WWF. Um, uh, so he, he was in top few because they were in Hart brief. Yeah, the Yokozuna stuff. He went that with Camp Cornet, weren't it? So, yeah. um, he he had like a main event run in WWF. Hmm. I feel that that stands him in good stead to be considered. Yeah. Like one of the greatest managers, to be honest, because I feel like yeah, his stuff, like in sort of like shoot interview land and stuff like that, we don't take that into consideration because it's a, like a yeah. kayfabe, uh, yeah. Mount Rushmore where we're just focusing on. But we we are we are going to focus on their contribution to the business, but it's also yeah. like who have you managed kind of thing. Yeah, he was also the man in a match we've mentioned a few times on this thing because it's one of those matches that happened away from all the big stuff. Uh, the Ring of Honor CZW feud, the Death Before Dishonor, Cage of Death, uh, war game style match. Jim Connett was like the manager. He, he was the, I don't think he was the GM of Ring of Honor at the time, but he was involved in kind of like the guy like backing them up, along with James J. Dillon in the main event of that yeah. match. But yeah, Jim Connett was a big part of that as kind of a mouthpiece as well, going back to his old manager style. Yeah, there's that famous clip of him um, from one of the scaffold matches. Oh yeah. When he, when he breaks his ankle. Yeah, the Road Warriors. Yeah, (laughs) which, like, that shows his commitment, I think. I think if a manager's willing to get... Well, I say willing. I don't know if he was willing to get involved in a match. No, he thought that was the safe way to jump down. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't. No, but, like, I I just think that he's he's willing to um, um, take heat in it. He's willing to, like... Yeah. um, And if if you believe him on his shooting interviews, because I weren't there, I didn't see it, Mm. um, like... they used to cause riots in places and yeah. have to fight their way into and out of buildings because I, they had that much heat. I was literally watching him and someone else we're going to talk about later on talk about wrestling in the sportatorium and saying how dangerous it was to be a manager because you couldn't see around the building. And it was just like lights were out and stuff, so it was dangerous if you were a heel manager because you just have stuff thrown at you the entire time <laughs> and you couldn't see where it was coming from. Okay, so let's move on to somebody who we've already briefly, very briefly mentioned. Uh, no, we brushed over him. The other manager of Yokozuna. Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji. So James Cornette was sort of like the English ambassador or the English yeah. translator or something. Yeah, whereas Fuji was the guy who brought him in. Yeah. Uh, Fuji also wrestled, uh, managed, was it Don Morocco? I'm trying to remember who he managed I know in he, the 80s. I know he managed Demolition. Yeah, he was Demolition's manager. He was a guy who was like, kind of like, they modelled him after Odd Job when he started managing from the Bond movies. And he was kind of like, 
the anonymous guy who would help them cheat at ringside, like the more traditional like bad guy manager that you yeah. think of throwing salt in people's eyes. Uh, he was also involved. Like so, the major thing, like the first show I ever watched WrestleMania Nine, we've talked about this a load of times. He threw salt in Brett's eyes and cost him the title. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, Fuji started off as a wrestler and became a manager later on in his career. So he retired in 1985. I'm just um, loading up his page right now so I can see the list. Yeah, so Don Morocco was the one that I really remember from the Fuji Vice videos, if you've ever seen those. Yeah, yeah sure, you've yeah. seen like, little clips of them where Fuji can barely speak English in them. I've got his shoot interview behind you as well, and... Bailey McAtwee says through it. Have they subtitled it? No. <laughs> no, because his English isn't very good. Right. And he, he speaks very broken English. And it's really, it, it's the second most unintelligible shoot I've got behind there. The most unintelligible is Butch Reed, who speaks English. Right. He's just got a very thick accent and you can't understand the word he says. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, I think it was around like 94, 95 when he started disappearing from WWE TV. So this is like even when I was still quite young. But he was a very well-known manager for being like the evil foreigner at ringside with people like the Powers of Pain as well and yeah. all these teams. But yeah, he was the more traditional bad guy manager. I don't know whether he'd make the Rushmore though. I don't, I don't think he would. I think there's stronger names that we have got to mention um, that have got a better potential of yeah. reaching the Mount Rushmore. Um I've just thought of somebody who we didn't discuss before we came on air that I think is worth discussing. Okay. So we've spoke about Jim Cornette being a manager of tag teams. Yeah. Quite quite a lot of tag teams. What about a manager of, I believe he's only managed three different tag teams. Okay. One of the tag teams were the Disciples of Apocalypse. And that was between managing the Legion of Doom and the authors of pain, Paul Ellerin. Yeah. See, I, when we were going through this list, I was like, there's definitely people missing here. Paul Ellerin, I'm not as familiar with. I've seen like little bits, and then we watched the War Games match where he yeah, was to fuck. Fucking yeah. hench. Yeah. And they're like, wait a minute. He's that little guy as we offers With Offers of Pain, like this is the most. I always remember the thing of him coming out on the motorbikes with Legion of Doom at SummerSlam 92. Yeah. I'll always remember that. Like, <laughs> with along with the Legion of Doom, like he was kind of iconic there, and he was. Like, he was just a babyface manager, which is, it's difficult to be a babyface manager because what you're going to do at ringside apart from just stop the heels cheating. Yeah. It's a weird thing. And the Road Warriors, maybe in their legacy, people don't remember him as much because it felt like they didn't need a manager. He was just kind of there as a mascot. But with the Offers of Pain, he's been a huge part of them. Yeah. And it shows that he, like, even if we don't remember those things from Legion of Doom, he's shown now why he's quite good at what he does being the mouthpiece for Office of Pain and getting involved in matches and being the the other thing that makes him stand out as well is we don't have many managers on TV now. Most of the people we talk about from the same era. Whereas yeah. now we've got like three or four people if that. Yeah, I think that um from what I understand, outside of WWF, he was a more effective manager for yeah. Legion of Doom. In Jim Cornet. Uh, not Jim Cornet, in uh, Jim Crockett. Yeah. Um then when they were in WWF and they, they eventually, they, they didn't split them up. What happened is, um, I believe when Road Warriors came back for like the 97-ish run, yeah, um, they brought Paul Ellering back in and then the Legion of Doom was under the impression that, from a shoot perspective, under the impression he was going to be managing them and then they all turned up to TV one day 
and it was probably a swerve, bro. <laughs> and uh, he decided to turn on a man, manage DOA, which obviously no one remembers other than me. DOA. <laughs> yeah. Um, of Nazi tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then really randomly getting rehired to manage the authors of pain, but it works. Yeah. Meaning that his daughter can't use her shoot last name because they don't want to have them together, but they mention it on commentary continuously. Yeah. Sorry, that bugs me in the Mae Young Classic. She's really good as well, like considering how long she's been wrestling. But it bugs me like, oh yeah, she's Rachel Evers, not Rachel Ellering. Did you know she's the daughter of Paul Ellering? Fucking shut up. <laughs> We've changed the name. Yeah. Yeah, I got to rant about that. Yeah, briefly. she's got Lance Storm's real last name. Yeah. yeah. Was she trained by, I think she was trained by Lance Storm. Was she? That's oh, I don't know. Yeah, I oh. think they actually mentioned that as well. That oh, she, okay. Like they actually say she took the last name in tribute to her trainer, Lance Storm. It's like, <laughs> she's saying the names are fake. <laughs> so what else is not real? You're going to be telling me it's fixed next. <laughs> um, who do you want to talk about next? Just go through the list. Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart. He, he's done it all, really. He yep. was the manager of the Hart Foundation. It's one yep. I, I remember quite a bit. Uh, he's rhythm he might, and bruise. <laughs> he he also he didn't. He was a bit of a Dennis Waterman. You know, sang the theme tune. <laughs> yes, we're referencing That's Little a reference, Britain, isn't it? I don't think anybody's <laughs> actually one of quote, the better. I don't think anybody's quoted Little Britain since two thousand and four. It's one of the better Little Britain characters as well. I'll always argue that. I remember that one. Yeah, you want me to write the theme tune, sing the theme tune? Yeah, we're there. I like the one where he used to come into a shop. And ask for something really specific, and then the bloke behind the counter used to go, "Margaret, Margaret," and then there'd be a long pause, and then she'd say, "What?" and then he'd ask for the exact thing, and then she'd say, "No, we don't sell it." Then he'd say, "No, we don't sell it," and then the, the guy'd leave. That was my favourite <laughs> one every time. Anyway, I've got the list of people he's managed. Okay, so the Hart Foundation, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Jerry the King Lawler, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, Irwin Arshister. The Mountie, Earthquake and Typhoon, Dino Bravo, The Nasty Boys, The Giant and The Honky Tonk Man, and then uh, some bloke called Hulk Hogan. I don't know, mate. He's not a fan of the blacks. No. <laughs> um, not, that, not Jimmy Hart. I don't, we should no, make that clear. Yeah. Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart's I don't have to say allegedly about that because he, he said, I am racist. I guess we all are a little bit racist. He, that- he also time this even further in a recent interview said that the n-word is no longer part of his vocabulary that's not the type of person he is anymore <laughs> right <laughs> uh yeah let's just he, so, managed, he managed hulk hogan so, he's always been like tied to hulk hogan in yeah. recent years so as a list of names mm. if we just just base it on a list of names he's got to be up there yeah he's i mean in terms of the stuff he did as well like he was pretty, but he he was such a great chicken shit heel manager as well that one of the things that made him great was the fact that he was tiny and like even like Jim Cornette and stuff like he was a little stocky but it wasn't like weightlifting or anything. Jimmy Hart is a little fucking like twig, yeah. And alt fans would have been there thinking, "I can fucking kill that guy. I might not be able to beat the guys he's managing, but I can kill that guy." Yeah. And that made him even more hated. And then as a babyface, he was like a great like motivator for people like Hogan. Yeah, but. Do you think, because I, I think for a manager, they've got to um, get the guy over. Hmm. When he's managing Hogan, I don't think he adds 
any benefit at no, all doesn't. in any way, whether it's when he managed him in 93 hmm. or now. I don't think he adds anything at all to the character or to the presentation. It's purely a payday for his yeah. mate, for Hoga's mate. It's purely a payday. I agree with that, yeah. And I think if we are going to throw any negative onto him as a manager, it's that. It's that as a babyface manager, he's poor. Yeah, as a heel manager, he's pretty good, but babyface... Well, then again, does the heel, does his heel manager just overshadow his babyface work? Because if it does... I feel like he's quite iconic. Like, as much as he didn't help get Hogan over, I feel like in a lot of people's mind, you think of him as part of the package, though. I don't. Like, whenever... Not necessarily when I think of Hogan, when I think of... But then again, I think we've even made the joke where it's like, if WWE don't bring back Hulk Hogan soon, then Jimmy Hart's got fuck all to do. Like... Yeah, we, we do put that connection together because of the mates and that, and he hangs around yeah, but, his beach shop. Yeah, but all time. yeah, but we think about that with the yeah. nasty boys as well, don't we? Brutus the Barber beefcake. Yeah, he's and part all of that them. whole clip. Yeah. yeah, that's a weird one. He's a maybe. He's a maybe on that one. And he's we'll a see. strong maybe though. It yeah, all depends like, on what kind of argument we've got for other people he, down the list. He also managed the Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> well, I was going to bring that up with the Hogan thing, like he, yeah, because obviously a few, but. From a kayfabe point of view, strong strong heel team, no? Uh, they were all they were all feuding against Hogan, weren't they? I mean, they were they were all fed to Hogan. Yeah, he also uh, was a big part of Wrestlelicious. If you remember yeah. Wrestlelicious, oh, I do remember Wrestlelicious. <laughs> oh, it was probably the greatest female wrestling show of all time. <laughs> it had Lacey Von Eric on it. Oh dear, and others. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. I know it was an attempt to try and do some like glow style thing. It didn't really work. Yeah, the, the theme tune was amazing. If we, if the we, theme tune was half the show, from what I yeah, remember. Yeah. Oh dear. And it, it also featured Jimmy Hart saying, "It's Wrestlelicious, baby," <laughs> over and over In his again. Weird squeaky voice. Yeah. Okay, so let's um, talking to women. <laughs> let's uh, segue over to some ladies of the ring. Um, let's go for Sensational Sherry. Sensational Sherry. I remember her ringside with Shawn Michaels and she was a big part of getting Shawn Michaels over, I feel. Um, so the thing with Sensational Sherry is she was fucking terrifying, but also like the bit of beauty to her as well. And I love the involvement with Macho Man when she was kind of like almost a dark version of someone we're going to talk about probably next as yeah. well. Um, I'll just get the full list of people she has been. Okay, so I'll, I'll talk a bit about it. So um, she's... Um, the only female heel on our list, yes. pure heel, because Miss Elizabeth did have a little heel run, which we will talk about. Um, I feel like she's a strong candidate for her run with Macho Man, just based on that alone. Yeah, Queen Sherry was fucking amazing. Yeah, I've got the full list of people here, and there's a list. There's a name on this list that. Isn't going to mean much to the listener, some listeners, and many people won't remember. I don't remember managing this person, but she managed Tracy Smothers at one point. Fuck off! Yeah, Tracy Smothers was listed on as being managed uh, by her. Yeah, the list of people. Do you she, think he did a dance off? I think, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So she's managed people like Crush, Greg Valentine, Ian Rotten, <laughs> Jake the Snake Roberts, Jeff Jarrett, 
Johnny Swinger, Kevin Sullivan, Lenny Lane, Marty Ginetti, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Rob Conway, Salvatore Bell Bellamo, I don't know who that is, uh, Shane Douglas, Shawn Michaels, Tatanka, Ted DiBiase, Terry Funk, The Honky Tonk Man, and Zeus. And also, you may remember her as the manager of Harlem Heat. Yeah. If you didn't remember that, there's a very famous promo where you can see her corpse in the background when Booker T tells Hulk Hogan that he is coming for him and uses the word that, as we mentioned, Hulk Hogan doesn't say anymore because he's not Nigel. person. It's Nigel. Nigel, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like she's one of the, another one of these people that's just got this huge roster of people she's managed. And she actually did make a thing like, Shawn Michaels coming out of the Rockers was just kind of like there. And Sensational Sherry made him someone. Yeah. Like her involvement with him was a massive part in him getting to where he did. Well, she was over. Yeah. And not just from her association with Matcha Man, but quite mm. obviously people do associate with that. So then when Shawn Michaels comes out of the Rockers and people might be like, well, where, where does he go next? And he aligns himself with somebody on her level. It elevates him. Yeah. But it doesn't. She never overshadows him, even yeah. though she's singing his theme tune. <laughs> like, and he's it's like all about him. Yeah. Her. It's yeah. It's basically base that they. I don't. I don't like. She's. She's his boy. He's her boy. To, he's her boy yeah. toy. Yeah. He's her boy toy. So yeah. like, I've just thought thinking back. She's probably like the first like sexualized type of image I saw. Because I'd have seen that some, explains a lot. I'd have seen some like her WrestleMania appearance stuff, and there was one where she was wearing the same chaps as Shawn Michaels, and she had a thong on. Oh yeah, like I saw that when I was like six or seven years old. <laughs> like that explains a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's weird what your parents let you watch, isn't it? Yeah, it was weird what kind of Shawn Michaels Playgirl posters that your dad just puts up in your bedroom for you, isn't it? <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> Let's never talk about it. Let's never talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like I'd say she's another maybe possible. I'd say Sherry list. doesn't get on the list oh. because uh, Miss Elizabeth, in my opinion, is better than her, and and I think that she would get on the list over if if we're picking a woman. See, I disagree about Elizabeth. So well, going, let's go into Elizabeth. Okay. So Elizabeth. That's what that's what Les Lucas said. What? Ah. Oh. <laughs> We've had a rule before about not bringing that up. <laughs> we genuinely have said, because well, we had to talk about it once before, and we genuinely mentioned we're not going to talk about that. We, I think we, had to, we started and we had to cut it from the show. You can bleep it. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to go back and bleep that. Fine. Oh. But yeah, so Elizabeth, she's, she was Macho Man's wife and came in through that direction. Yep. Uh, she's, everyone remembers Macho Man and Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, the only she was involved in the NWO later on and she managed Lex Luger. But like as iconic as she is, I feel like it's almost like a detriment to her that she only managed like it should be a great thing that she was Macho's manager for like so many years and then she was just really with Luger for the end of it. But I, like did she help get Macho over if you use that argument from earlier? I think Having her as kind of like the calm, quiet figure to Macho mm. Man's crazy, yeah, savage, if you like, figure contributed to when we eventually turned face. Um, 
you can kind of, you can like I'm not saying she calmed him down or she tamed that that kind yeah. of thing though where it's like she he always had whether he was heel or face he had a love for her mm. and I think that story got told really well um, see I'd argue though the thing that made that so special was Sherry's involvement because of Sherry yeah, coming but, in and it was almost like all the fans could see oh, you're supposed to be with her though not her and it was their reunion which made her like them both a big deal together. Yeah, but I think she's a more iconic figure than Sherry. The other if... argument I'd make against her is the fact that what do we remember from imagine Lex Luger, apart from what we're not talking about? I don't know. Yeah, so like with Lex Luger, she didn't really do anything. She didn't offer anything to that whole thing. She was just there with him as someone for him to bitch at. Whereas Sherry had a quite big effect with every guy she managed. And it wasn't about her managing that person. It was her bringing that person up and that person shining with her there. And I feel like she's Sherry in terms of like the people she's got over the feud with macho man, I felt was like a massive thing. Shawn Michaels is a person she built up. And then Harlem heat's a really good example of a team that they first came out in fucking chains. And Co- instead color, they, color Robert Parker were involved with that. Yeah. And instead, they switched it up, put them with Sherry, and Sherry, like, it was the Shawn Michaels thing again. It was, and it was a thing as well to get heat. This is early 90s, and this is early 90s in wrestling, so it's like the 60s, really. <laughs> it's a white girl with two big black men. People weren't happy with that in the <laughs> South of America. So I feel like she has a much bigger influence and a bigger impact on the business. And I feel like if, like, I'm not going to say it's the token female, but I feel like Sherry should be up there over Elizabeth. As much as I love Elizabeth, yeah, like, I see. I see your argument. I just, I just disagree. I just think that Miss Elizabeth, um, like who the fuck's Harlem Heat is my is my thing. Like it's got Stevie Ray in it. <laughs> like if we're being honest, I tell you, what, like I watched during the nineties. Harlem Heat were a big deal. Like Harlem Heat were one of the top tag teams in WCW. Like them and the Steiners and stuff and the Outsiders was three of the big teams. And Booker T going solo eventually was from the breakup of Harlem Heat. Like, yeah, but that's when the the feuded over his initials, mate, weren't it? And, yeah, that, and that part was brought in Ahmed Johnson. Booker, Booker T became a big star after that. Yeah, and I feel like Harlem Heat were a massive deal in WCW, especially like as a black tag team to get as successful as they were. Even at that time, like we've mentioned, that wrestling's about twenty years behind everyone else. So a black tag team getting over at that time in WCW was like any black person being popular in like the seventies. Yeah, it's a bit of a struggle. So. <laughs> And Sherry was a big part of them. Getting, they got off as bad guys originally, but I feel like Sherry's a much bigger part of the business as a whole. Okay, well, let, let's move on to an, actually another female um, that will go along with this person. Hmm. Woman slash Kevin Sullivan. Okay. You want to talk about Kevin Sullivan? Yeah. But I want to talk about woman. Okay. So... um. She, I, I've seen woman manage, um, Kevin Sullivan. I've seen woman manage. He we do not speak of. Yep. Did she manage Sandman? Yeah, she managed because, Sandman. Oh yeah. yeah, she managed Sandman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and while she's nowhere near as iconic as, um, Miss Elizabeth or Sensational Sherry. I feel like what I feel like is and I'm as guilty of this as everybody else 
I feel like what happened at the end of her life is what she's remembered for. Yeah. And I've seen the feud with Sullivan and, and Benoit. I saw it before, like before he, he did what he did. Yeah. And I, I, she played a pivotal, obviously, because it was, it was over her essentially, yeah. pivotal part in that. And if we're being honest, Benoit were a bit bland. Yes. And that feud and that storyline added to his character a lot. Yeah. Not in the same way as Sherry and Shawn Michaels, mm. but that sort of link there kind of put him over a little bit. There was a thing as well about that. So a uh, woman came into WCW as a fan of Rick Steiner and she'd sit at ringside as someone called Robin Green and she'd sit at ringside wearing a Steiner's t-shirt and stuff and eventually she turned on them in line with Kevin Sullivan. Okay. And that's when she became woman. She went to ECW for a while and that's when she managed the Sandman and um, she aligned herself with Shane Douglas for a little while as well. And then WCW, the feud where you talked about is the one she's really remembered. Uh, she, I always remember her as like alongside the four horsemen yeah. when they had like her and Deborah as the two women who was always yeah. with them. That feud was really good because the whole idea with her being called woman was Sullivan just saw her as an object, even though they were married in real life and all this stuff. And yeah, he booked his own divorce, as some people say. And that feud was like, it was one of those stories where it helped humanize Benoit because he was just a machine by that point. And yeah. it was like, oh, well, here's a guy who's actually like taking care of her in a way and he's not just going to refer to her as a woman you know she did carry on just being recognized as woman i believe after that um so she was only in until 97 where she she was ringside with um the four horsemen a lot with benoit and then she just disappeared for no reason that's genuinely like yeah. how it's written on this thing i'm reading um i feel like you're correct in what you said that her stuff gets overlooked because of what happened yeah and she played a big part in benoit getting over i feel with the fans and she became like a kind of cool thing like when deborah was there it added to the four horsemen at a time when maybe people weren't buying the latest incarnation of the four horsemen because this is around the time when jeff jarrett was in the horseman and i know you're a fan i fucking love jeff jarrett. yeah like jeff jarrett was in the horseman at this point like ain't i great jeff jarrett <laughs> yeah so having like two glamorous women as well there and stuff really helped like her and Deborah and Deborah's someone we can mention just briefly now as well in kind of the same role. She came in with uh, Mongo Michael. Yeah. And she later managed Jeff Jarrett in WWE and then went on to manage who else was Stone it? Cold Steve Austin. Oh yeah, she managed fucking Austin. Yeah. Her husband. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about the end, how that no. one ended. Um, There's a theme. There seems to be a theme. Yeah, her book's called Shattered Glass. Think about that one. It's the f oh, you get me depressed about Austin. Like it's that awful thing. Anyway, but yeah, um, I feel like they ha added a big thing to that incarnation of the Four Horsemen and helped legitimize them into because like there's Ric Flair and Arn Anderson and them all stood around while there's like these glamorous women around them and it was kind of like how it was in the eighties. So people bought into the Four Horsemen and a bit more for those who. Went into the NWO, you had the Four Horsemen. Don't talk about Kevin Sullivan? Yeah, see, the thing with Sullivan for me is I didn't watch a lot of WCW back in this time. And no. even going back, like, he's the weird little guy who manages the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. And I feel like I've missed out in a way on Kevin Sullivan. I know to some people, some people really love him and his mind for the business is, like, apparently really great and all that stuff. Well, he, was, he booked yeah. <laughs> Nitro when it beat WWE. 
yeah. which which gets overlooked so much because everybody goes, oh, it was Bischoff, it was Bischoff, or Vince likes to say it was Turner, it was Ted Turner. I mean, Bischoff, I mean, Ted Turner's money, Bischoff was uh, exec producer, if you want to give him a yeah. title. Um, Sullivan was writing it. Sullivan was the one, like, putting the angles together, and uh, he was the one that put the Dungeon of Doom together to get Hogan's trust. Yeah. Uh, so then he could later convince him to do what he wanted him to do, which is turn heel. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how far into it that he was ousted or he, he, he left yeah. or whatever. WCW was a fucking madhouse. It's just a rotating door of people at that time. Yeah, but he, but he, 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 he was definitely booking at Bash of the Beach, and after that, when they were beating him in ratings. See. This is why I feel like he's going to miss out, not only because of our own, like, not much knowledge on his manager career, but the feeling we remember him from is the guy with the shitty Dungeon of Doom stable that's considered a joke yeah. by modern standards. So that knocks him down so much. His mind for the business is really great, but as a manager, like, it's hard for us to... The thing you know, is, he, he probably were good, but I've not watched yeah. enough of his stuff to make a judgment on it. So I, I can't, I yeah. can't, um, I, we can't fairly judge him. Um... And that keeps him off the mountain. Sadly. Yeah. So, uh, what about JJ Dillon? We mentioned Four Horsemen WCW, uh, Four Horsemen in NWA. JJ Dillon. JJ Dillon, like he will always be remembered as the guy behind the Four Horsemen. Yeah. Like Ric Flair is the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson and stuff, but JJ Dillon was the guy who managed them and kept them all together. Uh, he managed. He was in the territories quite a lot before that. He's managed people like Abdullah the Butcher, the Mongolian Stomper. Uh, Buddy Landell, uh, Wal Waldo, and David Von Erich, and Butch Reed, but like he's most remembered for the Four Horsemen. And as much as like we've just talked about how like Woman and Deborah are a big part of the Nighties version of the Four Horsemen in terms of being that backing for them, and you've also got Arn Anderson there as the enforcer for them. JJ Dillon was such a massive part of the Four Horsemen in Jim Crockett Promotions and later World Championship Wrestling because. He was the guy who kept it all together and you had these four guys partying and stuff and then JJ Dillon was the like the meat behind them who was kind of like I'm the guy who makes sure they get their hotel rooms on time and gets to their bookings and stuff and I'm the guy who keeps the four horsemen working yeah. so he was a massive part of that whole thing like he is an original horseman if you ask me like well yeah, like yeah the the four horsemen figure pack where it's Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Barry Windham. Barry Windham. There should be a JJ Dillon figure in there, if you ask me. Yeah, it's budget reasons, though, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> like JJ Dillon should be in there, and it probably looks nice for having four figures in a set that says Four Horsemen. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a shame that that that's the thing that keeps him out of it. Like <laughs> in terms of like all the thing that JJ Dillon is a fucking horseman, and I don't think that whole thing would have worked without JJ Dillon. Uh, no, probably not. Uh, he. In, he was in a lot of the war game stuff we were watching as well. Yeah. Um, similar to Paul El Paul Ellering. Uh, he was except, in a match with Paul Ellering, yeah, wasn't he? Except that he's not hench. No, no, no. he's not. He's like a massive baby. <laughs> His trunks were too big for him. Yeah. And he's a big bloke anyway. It looked like a nappy. He looked yeah. like a massive baby. He's deceptively big, isn't he? Yeah. In a suit, you don't think he's, he's as big as he is. Yeah. He's one of those guys as well that's not afraid to take an arse kicking. Yeah. And he's the guy who can take the arse kicking for the four horsemen as well. And like the big thing that War Games match was they targeted Dylan because they know he's the weak link of the four horsemen. You've got all these elite athletes, but you've got this guy behind them and he's he's the manager that holds them together, but he's not a wrestler, we'll target him. And that was kind of a big thing because it was almost like 
it's a way to protect your four heels with a manager who could take an arse whipping. Yeah. So like in that match, you got to protect four top guys there by having the manager who everyone knows isn't wrestling. It's not going to harm him. And that's why he was also like, another reason why he's a big part of the four horsemen. On the Mount Rushmore, as iconic as he is, I don't know whether he makes it. It was all about the number of people you've managed yeah. though, is it? No, like, like I said, he's a, he's a fucking horseman, in my opinion. Like, yeah. He's fucking great. Yeah, like, he's, a, he's a strong maybe. Yeah. Um, so let's group the next few together just because I'm not going to be able to contribute much to these. So mm. you'll be talking a lot. Captain Lou, Slick, and Classy Freddie Blassie. These are on the list. Yep. But I'd, I've, I've not seen enough of their work <laughs> to be able to to um, accurately give an opinion on. Uh, all I know is Jive Soul Bro. <laughs> Jive Soul Bro. So that's Slick, Freddie Blassie, and Captain... Captain Lou Albano. Lou Albano. Well, let's start on Freddie Blassie. Because Freddie Blassie, like for most people, will remember him as the voice of WWE pay-per-views in yeah, the 90s. Yeah, that's, that's right. He's like from, strong yeah. voice. Um, so Freddie Blassie apparently was the inspiration for Muhammad Ali's promos. Okay. Which isn't true. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so it was a story that went around when... Ali was involved with the Inoki stuff and he'd done a few bits with, with the Worldwide Wrestling Federation at the time. He told people in interviews that Freddie Blassie was a big part of his interview technique and he was even managed by Blassie in those matches. It was actually like, it was, um, I think it was Superstar Graham and who was the other one? Can't remember the other one was now, but there was someone else who we'd actually seen, but then they used Blassie as the thing. But either way, Blassie was a massive part of the um, like Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Uh, feuding with people like Bruno Sammartino and Bobo Brazil. Uh, his management career it ended in the late 80s. But in that time, he managed so many top guys. And even though it's before our time, the list of managers. Uh, was well, the people. He managed Hogan before Hogan was came this, Was back this when in. Hogan was the... Like, White singlet. Yeah. Thing, yeah. So like the list of people. So you've got Nikolai Volkov, Voldo Von, Voldo von, von Erich. Mr. Fuji, uh, George Steele, Baron Von Vashke, Stan Hansen, Peter Maivia, Crusher Blackwell, uh, Swede Hansen, The Hangman, Iron Sheik, Hulk Hogan, Killer Khan, Jesse Ventura, Adrian Adonis, Blackjack Mulligan, The Sheik, Big John Studd, Ray Stevens, Dick Murdoch, Kamala, King Kong Bundy, Hercules Hernandez, Ivan Koloff, uh, and Hercules. Like, There's so many massive names there. Like, It's one of these things where maybe he would make it onto the thing, but he's before our time. And yeah. like, I wasn't, I, I was born in 87. So he'd stop managing by the time I was born. Oh man, you're really old. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Thanks for that. All right. <laughs> so yeah, Freddie Blassie is a good shout. Like he's remembered as well, very fondly for all that stuff. Lou Albano is remembered by some as the guy who's in Cindy Lauper's music videos. Yeah. He was involved in WrestleMania. Um, his list of people he's managed is quite long. It includes Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, Ivan Koloff, George Steele. A lot of the similar type of guys. Jimmy Snooker. He was also... Um, British Bulldogs as well was a big one for him. Everyone remembers him as the guy with the beard with elastic bands in and stuff. He was a very big character and even was involved in the Super Mario Brothers cartoon. No, was it live action? Oh, live action. Or, 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 he was, was the he... voice of Mario. Oh, okay. And then I think he was on the end of the episode singing the Mario Brothers theme okay. tune just as Mario. Yeah, so he was a guy who kind of crossed over as well. And as a manager, he's remembered through lots of 
big angles. And there's always that footage of him, Cindy Lauper and stuff in the ring and then running through the entranceway and stuff. That's quite memorable. Again, another guy who's a little before my time, but it's a difficult one. But again, another big shout for this. Finally, we'll quickly go through Slick. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So Slick was a manager in the WWF from 1986. Um, he purchased a half interest in Freddie Blassie's heel stable. Uh, this is so when Freddie Blassie disappeared a bit. So he took over managing Nikolai Volkov and Iron Sheik and then sold the contract of Hercules to fellow heel manager Bobby the Brain Heenan for a pile of money. Uh, one of the biggest ones people always remember of Sir Slick, apart from Soul Jive Bro, sung from the wrestling album, was he managed Akeem. Yeah, the one-man gang. <laughs> they took a white guy and made him the African dream. And Slick was the manager. Um, Slick was also involved in Kam- with Kamala a little bit later on. Uh, he was a very well. He was involved with Kamala when he had both his feet. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Slick. He had a, a much shorter career than the other two we've mentioned. So this is just a, like stuff I went back and watched at some point, but not necessarily as familiar with. I remember him with Akeem mostly, and he was definitely a massive part of that whole angle. And who doesn't remember Akeem? Yeah, I love Akeem. Yeah. So, Did he manage him when he were tagging with Bossman? Yeah. Yeah. He managed uh, Bossman as well. Um, he also managed Earthquake. Not Typhoon, though. That's random. Everyone go listen to Jive Soul, bro. Great. Okay, so I feel like we've got two more names left on the list. Hmm. Um, and I, I think, for me, they both get on Mount Rushmore. Okay. So you're going to have to do a good job of arguing hmm. against it. So first one, we'll go for Paul Bearer. Yeah, Paul Bearer. Um, so before he came to WWE, he was Percy Pringle III, and he had the Pringle dynasty involving a few guys, including Rick Rude. Um, but not many people remember that era of him because no. it was territory wrestling. He was in Florida and places like that. It's when he came to the WWF, and I was literally just watching Jim Cornette and Percy Pringle's shoot interview before we recorded this. And he tells the story about how he came in for an interview. He'd been in world class for for like seven years, working in the office and stuff, and he sits down, not knowing what they want to do with him. He's just come for an interview. He got given his phone, Vince's phone number, and uh, they were all sat there with his typed-up resume, and Vince McMahon stops and goes, oh, you're a real mortician. Because in real life, he was a trained mortician. And Pat Patterson and uh, JJ Dillon both sat there and they both start laughing. And Percy Pringles just sat there like shitting himself, like, what the fuck? <laughs> so he gets a phone call two weeks later saying, We're changing your name to Paul Bearer and you're going to manage The Undertaker. Who would have known that a fucking dead man would become one of the biggest gimmicks of all time? And Paul Bearer was such a vital, vital part of this early yeah. on. Like, not so much maybe in the modern day. But getting it, it over, getting it over, and like the thing I always remember, um, Royal Rumble '94, when Yokozuna killed the Undertaker, and they knocked over the urn, and you saw the smoke come out of it, and Paul Bearer is just frantically trying to grab it back while all the heels are just kicking it away and yeah. letting all this like life force come out of it, and what Undertaker eventually like falls to them all, and then you start getting the things where Paul Bearer starts saying the Undertaker's coming back, and. I always remember the SummerSlam matches as 
kind of shit that match was. <laughs> when The Undertaker made his return, when Paul Bearer comes out with that massive urn, it's like twice the size of the previous one, and he takes off the lid and that massive light shines. Yeah. Like, it's so fucking good. He, he was really good at WrestleMania 20 as well, so it was Undertaker coming back as the yeah. dead man after being an American badass and big evil. Oh, yeah. And uh, so it was a surprise that Paul Bearer was coming yeah. come back because he, he, he was never advertised. The Kane's in the ring and Paul Bearer comes down to the ringside he's just shouting at Kane, you're no son of mine. <laughs> yeah, Paul Bearer like, is such a massive part of The Undertaker's I think he's history. a good example of not only a good heel but a good babyface manager. Yeah. Because like you said earlier, it's a bit difficult to be a babyface manager and he has, it could, because The Undertaker's character is how he is, yeah. Paul Bear is allowed to shine while also putting Undertaker over. Yeah. He was such a, like, all my early Undertaker memories involved Paul Bearer. I was a huge fan of him and I was gutted when he passed away a few years ago. Here's a good point to mention this. How did you feel about that storyline? Uh, I was. CM Punk Undertaker. Well, at the time, and I, I still am a fan of him, but obviously don't wrestle anymore, but mm. I was a massive CM Punk fan. Yeah. I thought it was fucking hilarious, <laughs> right? He's apparently Paul Bearer's sons okayed the storyline, and yeah. um, from from obviously I can't speak for Paul Bearer, and nobody else should. Apparently, he he would have been all for it from yeah. the people that know him. Fine. See, this is the thing I, I was going to say about yeah. it, where like at the time, I remember a few people like it's a bit distasteful doing all this stuff, and. Paul Bearer was definitely a guy who not only loved wrestling, but was so dedicated to The Undertaker and his character. Yeah. Like, he was so dedicated. Like, he, t he tells a story in the shoot interview about how, like, he'd never let The Undertaker get out and pump gas because, you know, it fucking killed the gimmick. Yeah. Like, this is after, like, we all know the jigs up, but we can't let The Undertaker fucking pump gas. I've got to yeah. do it for him. And yeah. he, he literally, like, had to do everything for him. And that dedication and stuff and everything you know about him like I, I fully believe that he'd have been if he could have written that storyline himself he'd be happy and it was a nice way to have the memory of him especially like with the Undertaker doing the tribute to him at the end of it all as well and yeah like it was a really good way to it, it was nice like because the other option would be what just to have him do the one thing and then be forgotten about yeah I felt like it was a really good way to get people invested in the match and also to kind of honour Paul Bearer and what he meant to The Undertaker because everyone remembers The Undertaker as one of the greatest of all time. We mentioned like the biggest fucking gimmick of all time but Paul Bearer is a massive massive part of that and we should remember that. Yeah and you've you got to remember as well that CM Punk and Heyman are heels and yeah. um, they obviously do something really bad and dastardly and then they get the comeuppance at WrestleMania yeah. which I'm pretty sure if if Paul Bearer was still alive and they did a beat down on Paul Bearer and then at WrestleMania Undertaker won and maybe Paul Bearer hit with Earn or something. Hmm. Everybody would be fucking loving it. Yeah. And it's a little bit different if somebody's passed away and there's family and friends. Also, but... I, know, I know you disagree with this but I feel like that's the last great Undertaker match. Yeah, yeah, obviously I disagree with it yeah. but um, in the same respect that means I was in attendance for the last great Undertaker match if I take your opinion so that's fine. Um, one little thing I have, one little issue, one little thing I have is my dick. And one little issue, <laughs> one little issue that I have is um, he turned he turned on Undertaker, yeah, more than once. Made Undertaker look stupid, 
because I don't think Undertaker should be getting turned on. Maybe maybe once, because mm. what's that thing? Is it fool me once, shame on yeah. you, fool me twice, shame on me, something? Is that right? Graham would be shouting at me at this yeah. point, I'm going to get it wrong. I, but... I, I tried to do this phrase once on the show, Did and you? I fucking bollocksed it up, so yeah. I'm trying again. Well, I'm acknowledging that I might be doing it wrong, yeah. but I'm just saying it's that thing where he's got fooled twice, so shame on, shame on me, fool, fool me once, shame on Have you. Have you ever seen the clip of uh, George Bush trying to say that phrase? No. When he was president? No. And he, he goes... Fool me once, shame shame on, on me. Fool me twice. What I'm trying to say is, you can't fool me again. That's why it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, he, yeah, he's, he's been turned on a few times by Paul Bearer. Yeah. And then there was the whole thing where he put cement on Paul Bearer when he had a match with Dudley Boys. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, his work as a manager is good, but as a legacy, does but then, that... As much as it was a pain in the arse him turning on the Undertaker yeah. stuff, he was pretty good with Mankind. Yeah. But he brought Kane in. Yeah. And that's massive. And every time they've tried to have someone for the Undertaker to be like the eternal enemy or whatever, it's always failed. But this time it worked. And Paul Bearer, again, is a huge part of that for legitimizing Kane coming into it. Yeah. Because before you had, what, Giant Gonzalez with Harvey Whippleman. You had Yoko Zuna, who's... Like Undertaker was Yoko's best opponent, and I even classed Bret Hart over Bret yeah. Hart on that one. Like I love the match with Bret Hart because Bret Hart wins eventually. But the Undertaker Survivor Series match, I fucking love that. Yeah, like the Royal Rumble match fucking terrified me as a kid, and even going back now, I'm still a bit. Oh, it gives me chills a little bit. But um, yeah, he was a big part of legitimizing Kane as well, which is why I would say he should be on this. Yeah, I'd put him on for sure. So the last name on our list, um, we just mentioned him, Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman. He started off, well, he started off as a photographer like Jim Cornette did. Yeah. But then got into management in WCW and then he he went and ran a business for a while, didn't work out. Uh, and then uh, came back again as a manager. Not once. He disappeared again when he tried to run things again. <laughs> but this time he didn't actually own it. And then he came back as... The best manager on TV right now. Um, so his original thing was the uh, Dangerous Alliance with his big phone. And it, it was supposed to be the new Four Horsemen. And he yeah. was that he was the J.J. Dillon of it. So he was there with Alexander York, who would put together statistics who and to get all the athletes at the top. So it was Arn Anderson, Rick Rude, Larry Zabisco, and Steve Austin. That Dangerous Alliance? Uh, did you say Bobby Eaton? Oh, no, I didn't say Bobby Eaton. Bobby Eaton was yeah. in it too. Um, it kind of gets forgotten because it's in between four horsemen. They were trying to do a new four horsemen. As good as that stable Sorry, was. Sorry, who did you say? Uh, Rick Rude, Larry Zabisco, um, Steve Austin, Bobby... I didn't say Bobby Eaton. Who did I say? Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson. Did you say Arn yeah, Anderson. Anderson. Okay, yeah. that's one of the things you said. Right, okay. Yeah. So it was a really good stable when you think about it, but it was in a time in WCW it was in a downturn. Yeah. Uh, he goes off and does ECW. Yeah. Goes and does ECW. We, we all know the ECW story. Yeah. He'd come back to the BE, he comes back as a commentator, managing the Alliance. We'll not talk about that because we don't want to stain him with that one, do we? Um, but then he becomes the manager of a young Brock Lesnar. And I feel like out of everything, he Brock Lesnar is the thing that defines his non-ECW career. Yeah. Like as much like when he managed Kurt Angle and stuff as well on the side and the big show, I'm not even don't want to talk about them. Let's talk about Lesnar entirely. His promos 
helped build Brock Lesnar in the start of it. Yeah. And his promos is what keeps Brock Lesnar at the top today. Yeah. Well, he's he, a massive, massive part of the whole package. I've seen it in interviews with Heyman and he talks about like repeating things to like yeah. get into people's brain. And one of the things you associate with Lesnar, even now, is the next big thing. Yeah. That's all he would, he would say. Brock Lesnar's the next big thing. And when you look at WWE now, and you look at the landscape of wrestlers, and there's nobody talking. Or you, you have people like Lana and things like that, but there's, yeah. there's, other than Heyman, there's nobody talking for other people. So if I come out as a wrestler and say, well, I'm the next big thing, or, or whatever the equivalent catchphrase is, I'm mm. the best. Um, it's a good catchphrase that was put on a t-shirt. Um, like, it, if somebody, nobody else is believing in me, I'm just coming out and boasting. If I've got a bloke here who has seen Tommy Dreamer, seen the Sandman, seen Raven, seen Shane Douglas, seen Taz, seen RVD, all these stars from the past, fucking manage the biggest star in the business, Austin, uh, Rick Rude, uh, all them other people who managed in, in um, Dangerous Alliance, and then he's saying, this is the next big thing. It's It puts Brock Lesnar, not necessarily above them, but it puts them on their level from the get-go because he's saying... You've trusted me before with all these people. Now I'm yeah. telling you he's the next big thing. To argue my point against that, they put him with Curtis Axel and it fucking failed. <laughs> so yeah, that's the thing. Like In terms of his other manager things, he's just been a guy there with them and you can see what they were trying to do. Whereas with Lesnar, it feels like almost an equal partnership. Like It's almost like Heyman's the ringleader. He's, he's the circus like ringleader, bringing everyone in. Come see the beast yeah bringing everyone in and then lesnar's just the guy who can drop one line and then drop you on the back of your head several times yeah and he's kind of perfect at that he sells brock lesnar better than any sort of wwe publicity can like they should literally for pay-per-views just have paul Heyman go on sky spots news once a month and go oh who's brock lesnar against this month on no mercy he's against braun Strowman. he's vain and like cure the finn balor promo from a few months ago yeah he put over finn balor better than anyone has in wwe yeah, because he, he talks about him being small, yeah. but we're still afraid of... He didn't say afraid, but we're still like wary of you, didn't he? Or yeah. something like that. So he he um, he acknowledged what a lot of people are thinking, that there's going to be a size difference. Yeah. But he then put him up a level and said, yeah, but Brock Lesnar is still like worried about you. Yeah. And if Brock Lesnar's fucking worried about him, then that's saying something, isn't it? Because he, he's the only one on the roster that isn't fucking scared of anyone. Mm. But... Yeah. It, like, like, like I briefly mentioned with Curtis Axel, we've got to talk about people that he's managed that haven't been so successful, like Curtis Axel. Um, his run with Big Show wasn't great. No, and that was uh, a lot of like motivation issues. Um, the Kurt Angle one, I'm not a huge fan of that. I don't I, even remember him managing Kurt He Angle. turned on Brock to join up with Kurt. Well, when, then, when, no, when he, he first turned on Brock, oh, it was to join up with Big Show. Oh, yeah, and then he, so he managed Big Show twice, didn't he? But then he managed Kurt, and then oh no, did he turn on Kurt to manage Brock again? All I remember is it were I think it was Survivor Series, and Brock Lesnar undefeated, and he was against Big Show. Big Show had mm. jeans on, yeah, and Paul Heyman turned on him, yeah. and that he started managing Big Show. I don't mm. remember him managing Kurt Angle, but it's very possible he did. Yeah, see, like everything you said should put him on the yeah. thing, but the two arguments I'd make against is the gaps where he's away from Lesnar, like as much as he's part of the package, I don't feel like he's like the Paul Bearer level of part of the package. 
And do you when, know? No. Let, like, let, let me count that. Days, let me, let me, in terms of the giant, everything we think about with Lesnar, in terms of the early bits, we remember Paul Heyman being there and being the voice of him, but I don't think people think of, like, they think of Lesnar as a phenom who was going to make it anyway. Well, let me count with that. Okay, mm-hmm. so when Undertaker, when Paul Bear is away from Undertaker, yeah. Undertaker is still able to cut a promo, mm. still able to get over, correct? Yeah. When Brock Lesnar first came back after he's been in UFC, bear in mind, we've seen him in UFC cutting yeah. promos and he was fine there. He came back and let's be honest, he was shit. Yes. yes right? He went into the back, looked at Vince. Vince sort of made a joke about him being shit and he went, call Paul. Yeah. They called Paul Heyman and you might, you might, Think Brock Lesnar's a bit boring. We we kind of how he is, how he's booked. But you can't argue that Heyman doesn't bring him up a level or doesn't make does, his I things guess. feel important. And I feel like that puts him on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And I feel like his work with CM Punk, which oh, yeah, was that... which was different yeah. to his work with Brock Lesnar, because I feel like that which we spoke about during the Heenan show, mm. uh, that was quite an equal partnership. Where, whereas with, with Brock, um, it's Heyman does all the talking. Mm. I feel like with with uh, CM Punk and Heyman, if you go back and watch it, Heyman stood in the background quite a lot of it, holding the belt, and Punk's got the microphone. Mm. Um, Heyman does a little bit of talking, but I f- it's more Heyman's there to interfere in the matches and cause a distraction and be that, that element of a manager. And I feel like he does both really well. You know, I was I was going to use this as a negative, but actually it's a positive. I was going to say, people remember him more for ECW than his management and that he's more of a promoter than he was ever a manager. But that's actually a benefit because that's what a manager should be. And it's what I talked about with JJ Dillon and people like that. He promotes his talent and gets them over. And that's what a manager should be. So I'd say I've got three definites and we're going to argue the fourth here. Okay. Have you looked at my list just no. now? Because oh, I've got it wrote down. So like Bobby Heenan's on. Bobby Heenan's on there. He was always on there at the start of the show. He was on there. Heyman's on. And Bear is on. Oh, shit. Do you know what I've done? Well, I've done my list and not put Heyman on it. But (laughs) I meant to put Heyman on. So tell me your list again, sorry. So Well, so far we've got Heenan, Bear, and Heyman. And I think we're going to argue over the fourth spot. Okay, yeah, we are going to argue over the fourth spot because I'm arguing with myself over the fourth spot. Who have you... Um, So my list, and I didn't mean to put Heyman on it, but obviously I didn't. I put Heenan, Cornette, Bearer and Jimmy Hart. Um, See, with Jimmy Hart, I don't know because we kind of argued. So who do we? Who have we agreed on? We've we've agreed on Heenan, Bearer and Heyman. Bearer, and we've agreed on Heyman. I think the fourth person should be Sherry. Like as much as like Jim Cornette's had a massive influence, I feel like that lack of like the major big thing in WWE during like our lifetimes is what knocks him down a bit. Cause we weren't watching um, as much world championship wrestling or Crockett promotions, whatever it was at the time or Memphis and James Connett. We know him more because of the shoot stuff. And that's why we've gone back and watched bits of it. And he is iconic and he probably should be there, but I feel like Sherry had a bigger influence overall, especially on the careers of the Macho Man, Shawn Michaels, and Harlem Heat, who were a big part, like leading to Booker T, being a Harlem Heat wasn't thing. that good, mate. Fuck it, hell. 
<laughs> in terms of like a, a black world champion, WCW in the 90s. She didn't manage a black world champion. She didn't manage him, but she helped make him. She didn't manage Shawn Michaels when he were a champion, but she made him. Yep. Yeah, oh, mate, no, she managed Harlem Heat. Then he went into GI Bro and all this bullshit. She managed Shawn Michaels, and then he only went up but and up. She, didn't he? she established him in the company, like she did Shawn Michaels. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I, I can't. And then just for like her being the dark, like she was, she was the dark to the light that was Elizabeth in that whole like macho king. And that whole run with her there is just so iconic for me. I feel like she's just, she's one of the greatest managers of all time. I feel she should be on it. I just, I just, I don't think we can leave Jim Cornette off. I know. I, that's why I'm having trouble with it, but I feel like personally I'd put Sherry just that bit above. And it's like, it's, it's a personal thing that I, I, I saw more of Sherry when I was growing up than I did Cornette. Cornette was the guy who was just around Yoko and stuff and he was just, he was an auxiliary guy almost. He wasn't the Jim Cornette that managed the Rock, the Midnight Express when I was growing up. It's more, definitely more of a personal thing for me, but I feel like Sherry should be there. See, this is where we need Graham to uh, yeah. sort of like just do the deciding vote. Mm. So... I think you can make you you can make more of an argument for Sherry. I've not seen enough of Sherry mm. to make an argument. My what what I've seen of Cornet is pretty much the same that you've seen. Yeah. But if you've seen the Sherry stuff, then I think the only fair thing is to include Sherry because I can't argue against it in the sense mm. that. The only thing I can argue against is Harlem Heat of shit, and I stand by that. <laughs> I stand by that till the end of time. Stevie Ray is a bad wrestler. He's a bad wrestler. Yeah, it's not great. He was in the NWB team. He's shit. <laughs> well, I'll put Sensational Sherry on, but not to do with the work with Harlem Heat, but for everything else. Okay. So, so that's it. So our managerial Mount Rushmore is Bobby the Brain Heenan, Paul Bearer, Paul Heyman, and Sensational Sherry. And just for posterity's sake, and to keep them all in the same era, the Paul Heyman one will have a giant phone next to him. <laughs> okay, so uh, thanks for listening. If um, if anybody listening has disagrees or wants to add anything, you can uh, leave us a little tweet. So that's uh, at Royal Grumble Pod. Yep. Uh, you can give us a like on Facebook. Uh, that's facebook.com slash Royal Grumble. Uh, we... That's how you can keep up to date with whenever we post a show. It link goes on there, so you check your social media and you click it and uh, find us there. Uh, we're on YouTube. We don't have a link for YouTube, but um, all the shows got uploaded there. They're all they're all linked on all social media, so you'll yeah. be able to find us. Um, anything else you want to add, Dan? Subscribe on iTunes. Yeah, Give you can do that and review and stuff. How many stars do you want us to get? Five and three quarters. Well, we've got to round up. It should be four and three quarters, but we've got to round up to five. I thought the yeah, but I thought the star ratings go up to six. On iTunes. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I only subscribe to one star rating system, mate. Yeah. And it's Big Dave's. Yep. So uh, does he subscribe to the iTunes system or has he got his own system? This it, is like the Dewey Decimal system, isn't it? Yeah. Just rate is good. Yeah. Uh, give us a, give us a good, good rating. Yeah, give us a good rating. Uh, listen to another show where there's three of us. Yeah. So uh, I don't know when this is getting released, but like we do shows every Sunday and we usually have something else. He's not else. dead. What? He's not dead. We should make that very clear. He's fine. He's just not here. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, like, and, and he's the host, and he probably does a better job at hosting than I've done. 
Yeah. Um, and he also... Does it? Yeah, I don't agree. I know, I was going to say... So, no, darling, you've done an all right job, mate. You've, you've done a good job. Cheers, you're, thank you. You're, you're a better host than I am. Thanks. That's yeah, uh, but Graham, it also helps having three people because it settles arguments like this one. Yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, say, go, say goodbye, Dan. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Daryl. Goodbye, Daryl. Bye.